to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott and Melissa Hale. Welcome all my friends. Good to see you. Good to have you in our house today. Thank you so much. We're so grateful you're welcoming us into your house today. You know what? The worship was so good, guys. Thank you so much, team. And today we're reading the words of Jesus, the sermon of Jesus. And I feel like right now I just want to start by reading the prayer of Jesus together. Let's just pray that Lord's Prayer together. Would you do that with me? Hallelujah. Our Father in heaven, oh, we praise you, God. Hallowed, hallowed be your name. You are holy, Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth, Lord, throughout the earth, throughout our communities, throughout our cities, and in our hearts. Start with us, Lord God. Your kingdom come. May may your will be done in us as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, we praise you that you give us what we need for today. You tell us not to worry about tomorrow, but to you will supply us with what we need today and enough that we can be a blessing to others, that that daily bread is not only for us and ours, but for, the, for others. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us all of our trespasses. We thank you that you are a forgiving Jesus and help us, Lord God, even as you're forgiving us to forgive others to just be forgiveness machines, Lord God, that forgive others the way you've forgiven us, that we can forgive and just let things go. We thank you, Lord God, that you lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we ask together that you deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord God. See our plight. We know you do. And deliver us, Father God, from the things that we are going through right now personally and in our homes and as a community, as a country, as a planet, we thank you, Father, that you are not blind or deaf to this, Father God, but your heart is for us. Your heart hears the cry, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever and ever starting in this moment. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you today. My name's Scott. If you're joining us from any of the other places around the world, we've been looking at some of the data that's just exciting. Some of you are tuning in from all over the place. Welcome. Welcome. Right here, uh, we're in Spring, Texas, and we're having a nice, uh, beautiful day today. The weather is beautiful. But we are just like you. We are going through this global pandemic, this coronavirus together. But we're going to get through it. We're going to make it. We can do it because this is what the church was made for. We were made for this, man. God is with us, and he is going to lead us through this, and there is hope. And so we just keep our eyes trained on Jesus and uh, listen to his Holy Spirit as he leads us and guides us. And uh, I'm just so proud of you guys, you Generations Tribe. You guys are awesome. Just continue to pray, continue to stand strong, continue to be a blessing to your neighbors and your families around you. And uh, we want to get through all of this together. And, uh, but we are, uh, this is I think week seven Week seven of live streaming the service here. So we appreciate so much the worship team. And, and we've got a skeleton crew of amazing AV guys back there making this possible so that you can hear what we're saying and see what we're saying. We thank you guys so much for all that you're doing. And for you at home, the things that you're doing, the ways that you're being a blessing. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a blessing. 
for representing Christ well. I tell you what, it's an honor to, to serve in the kingdom with you guys. Today is going to be exciting because we are going to be taking your questions and throughout the sermon, this message, text in your questions to the number that should be on your screen now. And uh, we're going to be taking those and Melissa is going to come up towards the end of the message. And we're just going to try to answer a few of those that you send in. We have been unpacking the Sermon on the Mount for the last several weeks in this series that we're in, Kingdom Manifesto. It's been about, we've been in this for about five weeks now. I think next week we'll probably be wrapping it up. Next week will be the last week of this series. But this is Jesus' Manifesto of the Kingdom of God. Um, and over and over, what Jesus is doing is he is transforming our whole way of thinking from a law-based ethic toward a love-based ethic. That's where, we're, that's where he's trying to take us, toward healthy and holy relationship as one of our highest goals, rather than just trying to behave according to a long list of religious rules and, and, and laws. And so, here's the thing though. To live by a love-based ethic rather than a law-based ethic, it actually takes some spiritual maturity, doesn't it? Uh, when you're at a younger developmental phase, whether you're biologically or spiritually, you need rules. We all needed rules when we were growing up. But hopefully God, what he wants to do is, is help his kids to grow up, to grow up so that we can internalize those rules and principles, and then we live with God's help. We live from the inside out. He transforms us from the inside out. Um, you know, I have three kids. I love every single one of them. They are awesome children, all different ages. Uh, but I have, I have this one. I won't say which one. I won't tell you which one. Uh, but those of you who know us can probably guess. But I've got one that is sweet and fun, but loves to look for the loophole baby. Give me the loophole in any instruction you give them. I mean, they look for the loophole. They will argue a technicality like, like a lawyer in a court, courtroom, right? They'll be like, well, you said this, but not this. Boy, you didn't say this applied on Thursdays. Oh, well, you wouldn't tell me to do that if I didn't have any arms and legs. I mean, they, they will look for anything to, to get you, right? And it's hilarious. It really is. It makes it so much fun to parent. Pray for me, people. Uh, but we are trying to teach all of our children, but we're trying to teach this one that to obey we want to obey the intent of our heart. And that's the goal, right? And it starts with very detailed commands. And believe me, we got to give really detailed commands and, and lists of consequences if you do not do this. But that should develop, hopefully it develops, and they, this person will develop into a, a grown-up, an adult who lives out of love. That's the goal, right? We want to live out of love. But now this shift from living according to law to living according to love, it's not just about growing in maturity, it's also about growing in relationship. Relationship. So at some point, see, I ought to be able to say to all of my children as they're growing up, look, you know me. You know me by now. You know my heart. I'm not a mystery to you. You know this family. You know, you know how, we, how we roll. You know this place, right? So start behaving out of love for me and out of knowledge of who we are rather than kind of pretending you just got here, right? Which is what Jesus says to all of us. It's what Jesus says to us. Look, Jesus says, look, if you love me, you know how I 
care about you and your brothers and sisters. You know I want you to love each other. So don't pretend that's a surprise. Oh, Jesus, I didn't know that you wanted me to love everybody, right? Don't pretend I'm going to be proud of you for finding a religious loophole instead of asking, what would love dictate that I do in this case? What would love dictate? The Apostle Paul says, here's the real sign that we are growing up in the way that Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. He says in Romans 13, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. Why? Because God is love. He is love. He was the walking, talking, flesh and blood embodiment of love. That's what fulfills the law. And as long as you are focusing day to day on loving the other person, I'm telling you what, you're going to know what you need to do. And so the first thing we want to drive home and acknowledge is that, you know, when we, when we live by law, that fosters a loophole focus. Living by law fosters a loophole focus. And that we see that in the Old Testament, you know. That's, why, that's the way we were. God gave us laws. We found the loophole. God has to give us another law. We found the loophole around that. He gives us another law. By the end, we ended up with, what, 612 or something like that laws, right? Because God is like blocking off loopholes left and right. That is what happens with law. It fosters a loophole focus. And, you know, if you want to remain a legalist, if you want to be religious, you can actually do that. You can use the letter of the law, even of the words of Jesus. You can, t- you can technically say, you could say, well, technically, Jesus, he didn't say anything about this particular situation, right? I mean, he didn't say anything about this activity, so I'll justify it, you know? Rather than listen to Jesus, just listen to him. Watch, see him. See Jesus for who he is. See his heart and avoid the loophole focus, right? Loopholes will get you in trouble. Ask every Astros fan. We're down here in Houston. Oh, man. We were so proud just a few months ago. Oh, man. And then you, what do you do? You got, you got a bunch of guys who are like, hey, let's find the loophole. Technically, they didn't say we can't do this, right? And boy, that blow, that'll blow up in your face, won't it? Um, sorry, I brought up a painful memory there, Astros fans. Okay, we have to get out of this habit of saying, where's the loophole? so I can navigate through it. Jesus followers, what do we say? We should be asking, where's Jesus headed? I want to be right there with him. I want to follow in his footsteps, man. I just, I want to be like as close as I can to him. I want to try to anticipate where he's even headed to, right? I don't, I'm not looking for the loophole. I'm looking for the destination. Where's the trajectory of where this kingdom is going, right? And that is when you are paying closer attention to the heart of Jesus than to the letter of the law or the cravings that are in your heart. Because we all have cravings in our heart and we can find some loopholes to, to justify them, right? I can too. You're the same way. We're all the same. Now, living by law creates a loophole focus. So living by love fosters a relationship focus. Because you got to get closer to the person. You got to get to know them better. You want to know this person and walk with them through these issues. And this will save you when you encounter issues that you're flipping through your Bible trying to find that exact issue. Well, I can't find the exact wording for this issue. What is the heart of God telling you? What is the heart of Jesus? If you're being Jesus, if you're being love and everything you're doing is out of love, that'll guide you pretty well. If you're trying to love people with the love of Jesus, that's, it's a good way to start. Now, what we're about to get into, by the way, let me just say this to all the parents out there of your little, little sweet little kitties. Um, this might be a good time to send the littlest ones, if they're maybe preteens or something like that, into uh, the other room to watch, you know, SpongeBob or Miss Amy's stuff on kids 
world, uh, what she's got, everything. There's all kinds of stuff, but uh, this might be a good time for that. I'll let you be the parent, though. This morning, we are going to be talking about some tender issues that are close to the heart. We're talking about, we're going to be talking about sexuality. We're going to be talking about adultery. We're talking about marriage, lust, divorce, some of these issues. And these touch on fundamental issues about what makes us human. What makes us, we're going to be talking, this touches on our gender, sexuality, our, our desire that every human being has for intimacy and love. And Jesus says some things that are designed to help us be the best versions of ourselves that we can be, while also calling us to grow up toward a, a kingdom standard of love, okay? So, if you've been with us, we've been in Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Jesus is going to continue to use the same pattern that he used last time that you've heard it said in the past in the Torah, but I tell you this. He's giving us brand new light. He's giving us new truth. Here we go. Matthew 5, and we're in verse 27. Here we go. Get set. Put on your seatbelt. You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. Okay, just like last week, he's starting, he's coming off right in, with another one of the big ten. This is one from the Ten Commandments. This is one of the biggies. He's not do, do, tackling obscure stuff here. Uh, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. But Jesus is saying, even that though, you have been using this as a, an excuse for loopholes, right? To say, okay, well, I can't commit adultery, God, but what can I do, right? What, what can I get away with? What, you technically didn't say that I like, couldn't go on that website, right? I mean, you didn't say that or I couldn't flirt with this person. I mean, it's kind of harmless right? As long as I, Jesus is ready for us to grow up in our relationship with him. Let's see what the intent of his heart is. Jesus says this in verse 28, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. All right, we'll let that sink in for a second because that hurts. Now, Let's, let's also not get tripped up by letter of the law stuff here, right? Today, we can see Jesus' intent. This applies for both men and women today, okay? So when he says anyone looks at a woman, he's also talking about women looking at men, all right? This applies for all of us. The Greek phrase, the Greek for that phrase, looks at a woman lustfully, is interesting. It literally means looking with the intention of desiring her. It's an intention of, de- so there is some intentionality in this, some purposefulness that he's talking about in the looking. It's not just seeing somebody who, you know, just happens to walk by who's good looking. Um, It is what happens in the moment after that. What happens in the moment after that? Do you A, look away? Or do you B, look some more in order to, to feed that something inside that desires to possess people as objects and, and the, their purposes for your satisfaction, for your pleasure? Or did you know there's even a, there's a C, there's a third way. Jesus is all about the third way, right? Did you know there's a third way here? It's even more Jesus-y, which is to see every person as a precious, priceless child of God. Every person as a brother or sister, that's the way the New Testament writers describe our relationships should be with each other. Brothers and sisters, and there's a reason why they say that. Brothers and sisters, worthy of your, your love and your respect, your honor. See, this is the mature, letter C is the mature way that Christ followers don't have to walk around going, don't look, don't look, don't look, oh, there's people, uh-oh. 
But actually, you can see people, really see people who they are. See, see them as, as people, as priceless human beings without sexualizing every encounter that you have with another person. Because here's the deal, total avoidance of the opposite sex is probably not realistic, and it doesn't even foster healthy relationships, right? You can get dangerous into that kind of stuff. Avoidance of the opposite sex, that doesn't foster healthy relationships uh, between you and other people. We talked a lot more about this idea in a past sermon called, uh, in our, it was in our side-by-side series, if you remember that, it was in a sermon called Love and Lust. You could check that out. It was from a couple years ago. It was a good, good series. It, also, there's another message from a few years back. I think it was during our Ten Commandments series, uh, and it was a message called Dangerous Liaisons. Uh, check those, both of those series out. We go in a little more detail about how we, we can see each other. But let me say this. For those of you who, you struggle with lust, you're watching this and you're like, man, it's, it's tough, right? Or, you know, or maybe you're, you're, you're going through a time in your life, maybe you're biologically going through a time in your life where, you know, things are happening inside and you're thinking, well, I'm doomed, right? I got, I, I mean, it's impossible for me to go through life without noticing good-looking people, you know, all around. And so Jesus just thinks of me as like a serial adulterer or something. What good am I? What good, what good is it to even resist? Here's where we have to see what Jesus is calling us to. What's he calling us to? He's not inviting us into a nonstop condemnation fest. That's not what he's interested in. But rather what he's inviting us into is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's where we say, God, I love you. I'm all in. I want to work with you on this. Guide me. Help me. Help me to see your heart in this. And yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to mess up every once in a while, but... I am setting my face in the direction of Jesus. That's where I'm going. That's my journey. That's my destination. I am walking towards Jesus. I'm following Jesus and loving him and loving others in a way that you designed me to love others. Not, not as objects for me to use for my visual pleasure, but as brothers and sisters, image bearers of God, fellow image bearers of the divine God, worthy of honor. A couple things just for us to help sort out as, as, as some of us struggle with this. Number one, there is a big difference between admiration and lust. Admiration and lust. Lust comes from a dissatisfied heart. It's a heart that's, that's empty and needy, right? It's an empty place that says, I must have that in order to be satisfied, and maybe after I have this, uh, this relationship or that person or this experience or that hit of porn or whatever it is, this experience, I need, I, then I'll need the next thing. I need the next thing to be satisfied because I'm never satisfied. So I need to possess. I need to have it. But a healthy admiration for another human being acknowledges that that person is beautiful or handsome or, or funny or clever or talented or brilliant in a way that admires their qualities without wanting to possess them for yourself. And, and that really gets down to it. It's this need to possess, to have. But when I am living as a whole human being who is not in need of anybody except for my God and my spouse, right? I am not a slave to the fact that someone might be attractive. You can admire people 
That's what friendship is based on, is admiring each other, admiring some qualities in each other, right? Friendship is often based on that. And it has nothing to do, it needs to have nothing to do with sexualizing them. That, that's key, all right? Lust is when we give to a will to desire someone or to give to imagining them as, as belonging to you, okay? So there's a difference between admiration and lust. Second key here, there's a big difference between temptation and sin. Often, when, when you get, uh, you, might, you might be, let, okay, let's think about this. You might be walking along and seemingly you get struck out of nowhere. You ever had this experience? You're just struck out of nowhere. You're just having a great day. You're walking along. Maybe you're at the grocery store or walking the dog or anything. You're struck out of nowhere with a, with a thought, an image, right? An imagination of something. Or maybe a person just happens to walk by, you know, you didn't ask for it. Is that sin? No, 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 no. That is a temptation. That's a temptation. What happens next is up to you. In that moment, the difference between sin and temptation is often one second. The difference is often one second. In that moment, you have a will, and your will chooses what to do with that. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 about casting down. He talks about casting down imaginations and bringing those thoughts into captivity. So you're not at fault for the, that thought jumping into your mind. That's, that's basically your, your reptile brain messing with you there. Um, but what you do next matters. What you do next matters. The thought comes, what do you do? You calmly and decisively cast it down. That imagination says, hey, hey, mm, what if? <laughs> and you just go, hi there, thought. Nope. We're going to bring you into captivity, Right? That person is a brother or sister in Christ. They are an image bearer of God, right? And I am not a slave to every sensation or imagination that flutters by my prefrontal cortex, right? I'm not a slave. And something else, denial isn't an option either. Denial is not the option. That's not the way. Oh, no, it's a person. Uh, they're ugly. They're ugly, right? <laughs> That's just insulting, right? Because then God's like, Gosh, I thought I did a pretty good job on them, you know? And you're like, no, no, no. Uh, I, I wouldn't feel honored if you met me and said, hi, Scott, uh, I'm so-and-so. I am choosing to find you disgusting. I'd be like, um, thanks. Um, I think a better way, a better way for us forward is to let God grow you up. Let him grow you up so that you can admire the many qualities of a person without A, sexualizing them, or B, trying to possess them, desiring to possess them. We don't have to sexualize people. We don't have to want to possess them. That's honoring them. And it's honoring the God who made them as well. And Jesus is calling us to make these choices that honor God in these moments that we will have throughout our life, to honor God. Now, Looking at these words of Jesus, these are pretty hardcore. If, if you have looked at a woman lustfully, in other words, that you've, you've had that moment and, and the next second you didn't do what was right, you've, you failed. You had that moment, you were, Jesus says, it's just as if you were guilty of adultery. Let me ask a question. Here's the sobering implication, fellow holy people. If we take Jesus at his word that lusting after someone makes you as guilty as an adulterer, is there anyone here who has not committed adultery? If we really think about Jesus' teaching, 
and we apply it to our lives, it makes it absolutely impossible to feel holier than thou. It's impossible for one more second to see through the eyes of who's righteous and who's not, the adulterous versus the pure people. This is why Jesus, guys, this is why Jesus begins the entire sermon with this bombshell statement of blessed are the poor in spirit. That's why he can say that. Because you know what? That forces all of us. It forces all of us to say, well, gosh, I'm pretty poor in spirit, I guess. Jesus forces us into that place of saying, all right, I am in a position of spiritual need. I need to grow. I, I, and it starts with the recognition and a humility of my poverty in spirit. And God says, that I can work with. Now let's grow you. Let's grow you up. Let's heal you and grow you and mature you. Jesus goes on to give us some more advice. In verse 29, he says this, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. (laughs) And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to be maimed, to lose a part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Wow. Okay. Now, before anybody starts sharpening their kitchen knives at home, here's Jesus, the awesome, amazing, brilliant rabbi, again, using some good old-fashioned Jewish rabbinical hyperbole over-the-top metaphor here. But make no mistake, Jesus is serious. He, when he starts talking about gouging out and cutting off, things like that, it's supposed to make us feel just a little bit uncomfortable, right? It is. It should make us feel a little squirmy, especially when you realize, when you learn that scholars tell us that in the scriptures, very often hand is a Hebrew euphemism for a certain other body part that only dudes have. So, yeah. You're welcome. Paul, Paul makes the same suggestion over in Galatians about cutting things off. So does Isaiah in the Old Testament. I'm telling you, the biblical writers were not quite as Victorian about talking about this stuff as, as we are. Jesus is being very blatant here. He's being blatant. What's the principle behind the precept though? That's what we want to know. He's saying, don't mess with this. Don't play with lust. Whatever is the source of your weakness, your lust, get rid of it. Cut it out of your life, whatever that is. Is he being literal about cutting off body parts? No. Does he mean do whatever it takes? Yes. To to raise your gaze from sexualizing other people to one of honoring other people, do whatever it takes. If it's the internet, create boundaries for yourself, right? Create boundaries. Create, you know, give yourself cyber blocks. Give yourself an accountability buddy. Some, somebody who, you know, sees everything that you're, you're on or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, if it's, you know, people's bodies, maybe don't go to the beach. Maybe that's just not your best vacation spot, right? You got to be honest with yourself. Do what it takes to get into a healthy, holy frame of mind so you can treat other people with honor. Start cultivating a relationship with God. And we got to be courageous enough to, to practice radical separation from those things that tempt us. Radical separation from those things that we've, we fall to. Until we can get to that point where we're, we're, we're living by that third way. Where we see our brothers and our sisters as brothers and sisters. As fellow image bearers of God in a healthy, holy way. For instance, here's another scenario. If you're a dating couple, right? You're single, but you're dating. Let's say you're a dating couple, you've decided to, you guys are both Christ followers and you've decided to follow his desires as he really teaches us over in Matthew 19 uh, about sexuality being reserved for marriage. Um, 
and you're deciding, yeah, that's the way we want to go. Well, then watch out that you don't play that loophole game from, for, of saying, well, you know, I mean, we decided to reserve sex for marriage, so how far can we go, right? I mean, how, you know, technically, what's not sex? Um, rather than living according to loopholes, live according to love. What does love dictate? Love for God who gave each other to you. And, and, and uh, what is Jesus' intent for us? What's his desire instead of what can I get away with? I, I heard sex compared to a swimming pool. Hang on, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> kids, leave the room. Okay. <laughs> Melissa's telling, tell the kids to leave the room. Okay. Yeah, yeah, again. Um, think about this. If sex were a swimming pool, uh, it, it's a, a pool that God made for uh, enjoyment and intimacy within marriage. You could think of a slide into that pool as sort of like what foreplay is all about. Right? Can we just get real about this? Where else are we going to talk about it? It's like God built for us, married people, this, this really fun way to get in the water and called foreplay. It, I got to tell you, it's sermons like this that I am so glad I can look around the room and not see any of your faces. Right? Uh, this makes it a lot easier. Now, here's what's interesting. When we're not married, we don't call it foreplay. For some reason, we're able to, we, we call it making out. And, and we pretend that it has nothing to do with sex. And so what happens is a couple gets together, uh, you know, on a date one night, and, and, and they're walking up the ladder of the water slide. Let's walk up the ladder. This will be fun, right? And next thing, they're like, wee! And they're going down the ladder, and it's a great old time. And then they see the water coming. And they're like, they're sticking out their hands. Oh, no, it's the water. we got to stop. Right? And they're stopping, trying to stop just in time. Whew! Right? And there's a lot of, yeah, breathe deep, deep breathing and, and you got to get off the slide. Okay, let's get off the slide. Whew, that was a close one. That was a close one. Until next Friday night when they decide to go play on the slide again. And, uh, and then before they know it, they're going down the slide. Whee! And then, and then next thing they know, they're crawling out of the pool and they're crawling out of the water and they're like, how did that happen? I can't believe that happened, right? I mean, we were just going down the slide. I didn't know we were going to, suddenly we're, we're all, oh. So, hashtag stay, out of the, stay off the slide, right? There's your twittle, tw- tweetable moment for the, for the morning. <laughs> stay off the slide. All right, let's make some married people uncomfortable for a second. The, the next thing uh, is that Jesus begins talking about how do we apply this ethic in the area of marriage and divorce, marriage and divorce. Now, divorce was a big issue in Jesus' day, just as much as it is today. Um, and, and I understand here when we're, you know, seriously, when we're talking about divorce, we're treading on people's lives here. And whether you've been through a divorce and whether that experience was through your own choice or it was a choice made for you, it happened against your will, whatever it was, know this, that God loves you. He loves you. He's not a, Jesus isn't here to condemn, he's here to heal. God loves you and he wants you to experience the fullness of life from this moment onward. I mean that sincerely. Your past, whether it was your past mistakes, the mistakes of somebody else, your failures, he no more holds your mistakes or failures against you than he would blame you for being hurt by somebody else. That's just not what God is about. What Jesus comes to do 
is to love and forgive and reveal for all of us a way to start living right now. That's what he wants for us. You know, healing hurts and forgiving sins, that's what God does naturally. He loves that, right? That's his happy place, healing hurts and forgiving sins. So, as we're reading this, though, Jesus is calling us to a higher standard. Sometimes that higher standard is a challenge, and it does challenge us. And so we have to understand that. Here we go. Verse 31, Jesus says this. It has been said, anyone... No, this is from the Torah. He's reading some more of the obscure laws of the Torah. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality... In other words, that's breaking covenant. Makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, this is one place among several where Jesus talks about marriage and divorce. In some places, he gives a little more details, a little more stipulations. Other places, Paul, we read, gives more details and stipulations. So we also have to look at all of these scriptures as a whole. But, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because, uh, again, we, talk, we talked about this in a past series that was, that was in fact, just six months ago. Uh, we were in our home improvement series, if you could think back, six months ago. That happened about 10 years ago. Uh, but six months ago, we were in our home improvement series, a message called When Marriage Goes Sideways. And we talked about those, some of these deep issues of divorce and marriage and remarriage and, and those kind of painful things. I, I encourage you to go check that out. So I'm just going to follow up with a couple of thoughts here, um, some, some fresh thought. But once again, Jesus is reinforcing this kingdom ideal, the kingdom perspective on marriage, which is that marriage is far more than just a contract between people uh, that they can just, you know, terminate for any reason that they come up with. But rather, God is saying marriage is something truly spiritual. It's something sacred. There's something sacred that happens. And to end a marriage frivolously is contrary to God's desire for us. There, there are several places in Scripture where divorce is allowed, such as in cases of infidelity, uh, cases of abuse, right? And both of those are a place where one party has broken covenant, with the other party. You've made a covenant to love and to cherish and to hold and to treat with respect and honor. And, you know, in both of those cases, infidelity, abuse, something, there's covenant has been broken. But even then, always, divorce is always looked on as a tragedy because covenant has been broken. In Genesis, God calls marriage being one flesh. And as anybody who can tell you who's, who's been through divorce, whether it was by their own choice or the choice was made for them, divorce I heard one, one person close to me, and they told me divorce feels like death. It feels like a death, right? It just hurts. It rips something apart inside us, even, even when there are justifiable grounds. So there's never an easy, peasy, clean, you know, break when it comes to divorce. Because Jesus says it's a one flesh thing. It's a one flesh, and you're, you're ripping apart that flesh, even when it needs to be done. Even if somebody is being abused, and yeah, I'm telling you right now, just Pastor Scott is landed on the line. If you're, if you're being abused, you need to get the heck out of there. That's just it. But even then, there's still pain. There's pain that we feel down to the soul. And that is kind of pain that needs supernatural healing to recover from. And God, God heals. He does. There's a fascinating phrase in this, this particular place that we just read from Jesus. Notice 
Jesus, the phrase he uses to describe someone whose spouse divorces them for a frivolous reason, he says it makes her the victim of adultery. The victim of adultery. So Jesus reveals that what you're doing is breaking covenant in the same way that's like, it's like committing adultery. Now, by the way, also this phrase, victim of adultery, some of you might be at home with your Bibles open. You're like, my Bible says something different. It gets mistranslated and so it's translated differently in so many Bibles. And those translations can be very different, can give a very different meaning to that phrase. It's fascinating because the reason why is it is a Greek word that doesn't exist. That whole phrase, the victim of adultery, is one Greek word that does not exist in English. Um, uh, Here, I'll put on the screen. Here's some of the ways that different translations uh, choose to translate this odd phrase. And if you're just a a real big uh, grammar geek like I am, it's the third person aorist passive. Uh, Yeah, so there you go. Some Bibles actually say if you divorce your wife, it makes her commit adultery, which is kind of like, hmm, and that has caused no end of grief and suffering on some folks for centuries because that's a translation that's not only wrong, it, it doesn't even make sense. It's nonsensical because she didn't commit adultery, she got left. And more importantly, it actually contradicts what Jesus says in other passages and what Paul says in other scriptures where they clearly state that that person is not at fault and they're even free to remarry. So without getting too, too nerdy, as I said. The problem is the Greek being this passive tense of the word to perform or commit, and which doesn't really exist in English. It would be like to be performed upon, committed upon. So scholars say a better way to translate it uh, could also be that she suffers adultery. Adultery has been performed or committed upon her. She is victimized by adultery. There's one other uh, possible interpretation It could be like one of those translations on your screen. I think it's the God's Word translation. It says, it makes her look as if she's an adulterer. And what that is acknowledging is a cultural reality of Jesus' day. There was a stigma that would have been upon her in that day of being a divorced woman. And it's something that a a society would have just probably assumed of her. Oh, she's divorced. Yeah, she must have committed adultery, right? Regardless of exactly which way we translate it here, And I think there are better ways than others, for sure. But what Jesus is doing here is he is standing firmly on the side of the victim here, of this relationship, and and holding up reconciliation and marriage as the ideal. That is the ideal. And again, just to make sure I make this point clear, Jesus uh, today would be saying the same of women as who divorce their husbands for frivolous reasons, right? In Jesus' day, you know, women never almost never divorced their husbands. It's interesting. You look at the history of their laws and things. It just wasn't done in their culture. Uh, they risked being an outcast from society. I mean, it would, be a, it would ruin their life, if they, even if they were able to legally. In some places, they weren't even able to. So more often than not, it wasn't a possibility. So women just ended up kind of putting up with whatever husband that they ended up with. Men were the ones who typically did the divorcing. So that's why Jesus keeps coming at it from this specific uh, gender. But what does all this mean for us today? What does this mean? It means that God, guys, God does not jive with all of our religious loopholes. The Pharisees had all of these loopholes for reasons you could dump your spouse and get a new one. And Jesus is reinforcing a kingdom principle that marriage is meant to be for life. And yes, sometimes people find themselves a victim of divorce. Either they didn't ask for or divorce that became necessary 
because of abuse or something like that. But Jesus warns us. He warns us exactly against the sort of frivolous divorce that we see so common today that tears families apart. And it discourages couples. What it does is discourage new couples in a marriage from really putting in the, the real everyday work that it requires to make a marriage happy and successful. And it does take work. Because in their, you know, today now, so divorce is always an easy option in the back of their minds. And I got to tell you this, let me just add, I have seen God do some amazing miracles within marriages, even where infidelity has occurred. God has mended hearts and created wholeness and healing and forgiveness, even where something like that is taken. So, so there's definitely, definitely not a command that you have to get a divorce if someone has broken covenant. Jesus is calling us to a higher way of living. That's what we're getting at. Jesus is calling us to a higher way of living, a deeper way of living that has at its core living by love rather than living by loopholes. We want to live by love, not loopholes. Valuing relationship over rules. Here's what maybe our highest aim should be as Christ followers. Our ultimate desire should be following what God desires and not merely what God allows. Yes, he's a gracious God. But what if our highest aim was following what he desires? And this isn't just about divorce or remarriage or even sexuality. It's about everything, everything in our life. If you want to be a Christ follower, ask, what does he want? What does he want, not what does he allow? What can, not you know, what can I get away with? Rather, what does God want for me? What is his best? Amen. Well, I think at this time, Mel, are you ready? Is this a good time? Keep talking? <laughs> I'm going to come back in a few minutes and, and give a concluding thought here. But right now, Mel's going to come and, uh, and, and we're going to tackle some of these questions. Are you getting some texted in there? Here she comes, here she comes. Well, I'm, I'm, getting, a lot of, I'm getting a lot of comments and, and a few questions. Comments and a few questions, okay. I'm getting some, some funny little jokes. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a, a, got a great sense of humor out there. We got a funny church. <laughs> Keeps things spicy. <laughs> Hi, good morning, everyone. Thanks for texting. You can continue to text if you would like, if you have thoughts. I feel like sometimes this is one of those things on Thursday afternoon, you're going to go, oh, but hey, but what about, but how about the mm. verse that says, right. but when Jesus was doing this particular thing, give us a, you know, and it's going to occur to you, feel free to text us. There's an email for that, right? Questions at... That's right. Question, you can email questions at gchurch.net, or if you go to the church app, you can click on questions for pastor. Um, so, one of the first things that popped up was, in the event you missed our disclaimer, and maybe you had a little one in the room that heard some words they had never heard before, um, it's always a good opportunity mm. to age appropriately, discuss things with your kids, mm -hmm. because we live in a world that is not going to be friendly toward them, and that's not going to protect their innocence. That's a good point. So instead of 
um, you know, working very hard to make sure they never hear anything or expose to anything. If something comes up, if, if someone says, mommy, what's lust? Or what does this mean that this happened? We answer that age appropriate because you want to start inserting little building blocks of faith in That's their true. hearts. So questions Cause, cause are not the world, scary. The world is going to be teaching them as fast as the world can. Right. Yeah. And so it's great as a parent to get there first. Get so there there's first. no curiosity and mystery for that child to discover, ooh, my parents have never talked to me about that. I'm going to mm. go find it out over here, find it out from this friend. Mm-hmm. So, but there's obviously a way to talk to a, a six-year-old that's different than you're going to talk to your 10-year-old, that's different than you're going to talk to your 14-year-old. But through that, you should always be building upon truth. I had a friend the other day tell me she was talking to her children um, just about the biological facts of life, and her kids just got angry at her and told her to stop talking. <laughs> That's when you know maybe they're not ready yet for this explanation. Right. If, if they're like, stop. About this, though, it is always appropriate to let children know how good Jesus is, mm-hmm. how much Jesus loves them no matter what, how much you love them no matter what, right? All the mistakes you make, whatever you could do on your worst day, I love you and God loves you mm-hmm. and you're be- and what you do doesn't change that love. But do you know how we show God love back by obeying him and by honoring him and what it's called when people miss the mark and fall short mm-hmm. is sin. And sin is the great age appropriate word that encompasses anything anyone could ever do, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't have to dive into the specifics because really there's not a hierarchy of sin. Sin is sin, Mm -hmm. right? right. The the lie, the the thing you withheld, right? We're talking about pretty big topics today, but sin is sin. So the sooner your children know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They can start making responsible efforts to choose not to miss the mark to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and start guiding them. Because if they start asking the Lord Mm -hmm. to guide them to make choices that honor God now, they're only going to grow in their faith. Mm. And when the stakes get higher, they're going to understand how to honor and follow the Lord in those things better. That's true. So just, it's it's okay to talk about it. Age appropriate. Um, Another thing to talk about is the root The root of what we're talking about today when it comes to lust and adultery, because you know these things are, all these things are always symptoms. They're just symptoms of something bigger. And so back in the Old Testament, and you talked about it, what, what what was it in the, in the commandments that really addressed this? Mm. There is an Old Testament word called covet, Mm. coveting. And so God introduces this to his people and says, you know what you're not supposed to do? You're not supposed to want what someone else has. That's bad. And then as we go through scripture, we kind of start to see we're exposed to more things like greed and and selfishness. But but that root, the real root is selfishness. Mm. It's self. It's about yourself. Selfishness. And I see in modern days, it's like selfishness has two big symptoms that really come out for people. Because believe it or not, everyone is not sex crazed maniacs, right? <laughs> you might be listening today and you're like, I've never struggled or with, with that desired 
you know, for an affair. I've, I never sexualize people. That's not me. That's great. That's healthy. That's a lot of people. But there's a lot of people who do struggle with that. Um, so there's two roots of selfishness as I see it. One of the roots of selfishness comes in the form of lust, right? Um, you're selfish. You're lusting after. You're desiring after um, people or relationships. Another one is jealousy, mm. right? You're not sexualizing anything, but you want what someone else has. Mm. Maybe you want a, like a relationship like someone else has. You want the house someone else has. You mm. want the car someone else has. That's jealousy. You're jealous of something that someone else has or is or does. And you know what? It's the same root. It's selfishness. So we can't be all proud of ourselves because we're not lusting when we're over here being jealous. Mm. Right? They're both poisonous. They're both deadly. They both want to drag you down and destroy you. That's true. And so the important thing is to get down to the root of the problem. And I think Romans 12, 2 through, can you pull up Romans 12? Yes, ma'am. On the Bible. Romans 12, 2 and 3 is such a good reminder to us. No matter what that root of covetousness in us is drawing on us. Here's a reminder. It says, do not be conformed to this world or the patterns of this world or the world saying, this is okay to do or that's okay to do. Don't be conformed to that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought. See, this is key right here because here's the problem. If you think of yourself more highly than you ought, you can justify any behavior. You can justify any decision you make because you think, oh, it's okay for me, or you think I'm not hurting anyone. But this says, think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Here is why you need to re renew your mind. Because the problem with sin, any sin, the problem with uh, lust in particular, or jealousy in particular, is that there's something in your mind that says there's something positive about that. And I heard a pastor named Gregory Boyd talking about this. You as a human are drawn to things that are positive and you don't like things that are negative. And so something happens in your thoughts where you go, this little fantasy I'm having about owning the car that person has just makes me feel good. Right? I like the fantasy of that. I can see myself driving in that car. I don't have the money for that car. I don't need that car. But I can just fantasize that I'm in that car when I look good driving down the road in the car. Right? It's a little analogy. There becomes something positive. But the problem with it is with any sin that it's actually vile, degrading, evil, and ugly to want to covet anything whether it's an object or a person. So you have to, by the renewing of your mind, not justify fantasies and ideas that do not honor God. You have to stop that thought, and you have to, as 2 Corinthians 10 says, though we live in the world, 
We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Not all our knowledge is the knowledge of God. And so when we've made something positive that is actually an evil, degrading sin, like pornography, for example, it is from the world of darkness. It is something that promotes human trafficking and the abuse of children. We cannot make that positive. We have to face what it is. It is sin. It is negative. And we have to renew our minds to the truth of those things that try to ensnare us, right? The sin that so easily ensnares you. Think about whatever that is, whatever your struggle is. What is it that ensnares you? And renew your mind that this is not a positive thing. This is a deadly, evil thing trying to lure me down, drag me down, and ruin the relationships in my life, my relationship with God and my relationship with others. So we renew our mind. We transform ourselves by taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Mm. Is that thought in me is it obedient to Christ? That's my standard. My ways, the world's ways, the media's ways, the movie's ways is not my standard. It's not your standard. Our standard is the living embodiment of agape love. And we know what that looks like through Jesus. So we hold every thought to the standard of Jesus, who says a new command, I give you love one another as I have loved you. Does this thought love my children? Does this thought love my spouse? Does this thought honor God, honor my family, honor my neighbor? And if it doesn't, we cast it down in the name of Jesus and we renew our mind with the word of God by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Mm. That's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. There's a, a word called sila in the Bible. It means pause and think. Do you need a pause and think moment? Oh, no, no. I, I was just looking at some of the questions there. Oh, good. Um, oh, somebody just said, I like your comments. <clears throat> Gratitude is the cure for coveting. Mm -hmm. That's really good, anonymous Ooh. person who I know who you are. <laughs> um, That's good. Gratitude is the guardian of your joy. I always say that in my head. Gratitude is the guardian of your joy. When you are thankful, when you can give God thanks in every season, mm -hmm. not for every season, in every season, because God is good all the time. God is faithful all the time. You have so many things to be thankful for. When you can be grateful in every season, your brain is too busy Praising God and giving gratitude, it's too busy then to start comparing and wishing you had something you didn't or wondering why they have something you don't, right? Remember this, God is not zero-sum. There is not some big cosmic piece of pie and you get one-eighth billion of what everybody gets. God is infinite That's in good. mercy, in love. God is infinite in provision, and the kingdom is different than this world. And you're in the kingdom. I'm in the kingdom. The people of God are in the kingdom, and we operate by a different system. 
and it's not zero sum. God has enough for you. And what God has given and blessed someone else with does not take away from you at all. It, it doesn't work that way. It's not that kind of math. We can give God thanks even for what other people have. In fact, that's a good exercise. Instead of wishing and complaining and fantasizing, I wish I had that or what they have, God, thank you that they are flourishing in that. And even if you don't mean it the first time, the more you say it, the more you'll mean it. Mm -hmm. God, thank you for this beautiful thing I see. Appreciate the beauty in that person, the talent in that person, the, you know, the, the great blessings that they have. And in that gratitude, I'm telling you, the Lord will overwhelm you and fill that space, that need that you have with more of him. And really that deepest need, that physiological and psychological need from which selfishness takes root, Mm. it's the need for connection. And we so desperately need connection. And our main source of fulfillment and belonging only comes through the Lord. That's the place. And when we're hungry for it and we're we're not seeking it from God, we're going to get full on something else. That's true. So if you find yourself constantly hungering after those things that are misconnection, missing the mark, Mm -hmm. right? It's misconnection. It's a false, wrong way to connect. It's because you're not connecting to your true source, your Lord and Savior. And you're not connecting through others, brothers and sisters who are life-giving. When you're feeding on those connections, you are no longer hungry for those misconnections. That's good. Um, We had one good question. I thought this was a good one here. Someone asked, if you have been divorced, maybe you didn't take your marriage seriously and you caused the divorce and you've remarried, how does God feel about this and should you be in guilt today? That's a really good question. It's something I know a lot of people have probably experienced that same scenario. And I would just tell you this. God loves you, and he is all about today. God is about, where are you right now? Follow me. And what does God want to do in every situation is he wants, he wants relationship to be healthy between you and him and you and others around you. And so, if you have remarried, the last thing he, he's going to want you to do is, is rip apart another marriage or something like that to, to try to fix something. And I would just refer you to a scripture. Everybody knows, or a lot of people know John 3.16. That's the famous scripture. You know, God loved the world. He came to, uh, he brought his only son to, so none would perish but have eternal life. The very next one though, John 3.17 is so powerful. And and person who texted this, this might be for you. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send Jesus. Jesus didn't come to say, how dare all of you people do terrible things? I can't believe all these people are doing wrong things. It says, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He doesn't come to condemn. He comes to save. And what we're talking about here, remember, we're not talking about a big old list of of rules and loopholes we got to go through. He wants to change you, transform you from the inside out. And so right now today, 
you can allow God to transform you from the inside out. The marriage that you are in today, God can transform that marriage right now from the inside out and speak healing and even speak healing into any kind of leftover strife or bitterness that has to do with those past relationships. He can heal that strife and give you the marriage that he desires for you right now with your spouse as you, you guys are working on that. Yeah. yeah. Really good. I, I had a similar question earlier that said, "What if uh, our uh, a marriage wasn't started on the best terms? Right? Mm. Marriage was gone into frivolously. Yeah. It's the same thing. From the moment you know is the moment of accountability. Yeah. And and covenant is covenant. Mm. And you do your best to honor and keep the covenant. Um, and of course, we always have big disclaimers unless mm -hmm. someone has broken covenant." Mm -hmm. Um, and there's options, right? So if we're talking about abusive breaking of covenant, we're always like, get to safety, be safe. It's not your job to stand there, be abused, and try to fix somebody. Well, what, you don't need to be abused while God is healing this other person. Right. God right. does not require that of you. God, if, if Jesus came in the room while someone was being abused, he would rescue the person that was the victim. That's true. And then after that person was safe, he would have a serious conversation with the, with the person who was dealing with that. <laughs> But his love is endless for both parties. That's true. That's what we have to remember. We want to judge and say, they were right and they were wrong. And right. Jesus is love. That's and so Jesus true. is the, the freer of those who are oppressed and in bondage. Um, That's so true. So, yes, from the moment of covenant, you want to hold to the covenant and honor the covenant. And you have to work together to do that. And if one party is not willing to work, they mm. are breaking covenant by not being willing to work on it. Mm. Had a great question. Is it wise to be open and discuss lustful thoughts with your spouse? That is a good question. That's a good question. I would say yes. I would say with your spouse, I don't want to hide if anything. If it's not safe to discuss things with your spouse, yeah. there's already a trust issue. Exactly. In your relationship. Now, that's not to say it won't create some hard conversations. And there's going to be areas then of hurt and mistrust and things like that. Oh, you know, how far did this go? And, you know, you got to just trust in the Lord to help you. And sometimes that's a great time for a couple to get with another couple, a mature couple or mm -hmm. a, a spiritual leader or a pastor or something like that. Say, walk through this with us. Walk through this with us. But... Boy, that's a great opportunity for one spouse to get to exercise understanding and forgiveness and appreciation for the courage that it takes to be honest. And we're honest in a way that is, even then, that is loving, right? And yeah. tender. Those are very vulnerable and real conversations. It's not easy, but um, it is important. And it's always important also to come at it not from, I'm thinking these things because you, mm. blah, 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 blah. You're not good enough. Not for, healthy. In some way. Yeah, no, no, no. Unacceptable. Um, but to be honest about what you're feeling. Absolutely. Is always acceptable. I am dealing with this thought. I am fighting this feeling mm -hmm. inside of me. I... I want, I want to be transparent before you because obviously if I could handle it on my own, I'd be over it and I'm not over it yet. Mm. And so I would say if, if you can trust your spouse enough to be honest, do it. Mm -hmm. If for some reason you feel like 
it's going to make things worse between us, you can always, of course, talk to a professional counselor. Um, a professional is a therapist. Mm -hmm. That's good. You can always, while we're not certified therapists, we're <laughs> always willing and available to talk to you mm -hmm. and pray with you. Right. Eventually, though, a very next step is going to be being honest and communicating with your spouse, Absolutely. first and foremost. Um, another question says, what is the best way to proceed if you feel divorce may be imminent? Mm. If divorce may be imminent, Melissa and I, we've talked to several different couples where it feels like this is it. Divorce is imminent. It, it's, we're, we're, it's, that's the next step to happen. Our feeling is that Jesus is all, can do anything, that there's always room, there's always time for Jesus to perform a miracle. It takes two people. That's the really key. It takes two people to say, to take a deep breath and go, okay, let's give Jesus a chance. Let's give God a chance to move in our marriage. But there's always a chance. I, I believe there's always hope. There's always hope if two people will say, all right, we're going to put our hope. We'll do the hard work that it takes to let him heal us and to show us the next right steps through this. There is always hope. Yeah. But it takes two. It does. Yes. And I'm going to tell you some, a trick that we've seen the enemy do over and over again in relationships. Mm. And because uh, the devil wants to break covenant, right? That's the goal. Sin breaks covenant. Sin destroys. Um, what we've seen a tactic is over and over again is for one person to be ready to talk about it and the other person's not ready. Yeah, that's true. But then do you know what happens? After a month or two or six months of that person being ready and always turned down, their heart starts to become defensive the other person, they're being worked on, and now one, the other one's finally ready, and the other person's, no. Yeah. You had your chance. I was ready for six months. I prayed with you. I just, and they're never on the same page. Mm. And it's just a tactic we've seen that leads to divorce. Because the problem is when both people are not willing to do the hard work of getting down to the root issues and communicating and being honest at the same time. Mm. And that's, that's a pride. It's pride. It's a pride issue. You have to die to your pride in order to um, make something work. That's what laying down your life looks like in terms of marriage, right? You don't physically go and die on a cross, but greater love has no one than this than they would lay down their life. We literally so often in marriage have to lay down our own rights and mm. pride in order to heal what's broken and hurt. But God is so faithful to show up in those moments when we finally surrender and let go of that thing so that it can be worked on and dealt with for real. Another tactic of the enemy is for it not to be a big deal until it's too big of a deal. I'm going to suppress this. I'll get over it. It'll be fine. We don't have to talk about it. And after weeks and months and years of that, guess what? It's not fine and you didn't get over it. And now it's so big, you're like, I just want to quit. Hmm. Because you're under a boulder of suppression and the weight is too heavy to bear. And in instances like that, again, Jesus is the one that can get you out under that suppression 
and start that open conversation and start the communication that'll get you on the right path together again. It's never too late to fix anything. It's never too late. Lazarus was dead three days, people. Mm. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus wept, and then he brought him back to life. Mm. And sometimes we have to have moments where we weep, and we cry, and it's ugly, and it's messy, but it's worth it because those dry bones can rise. God is a redeemer, and he's a resurrector, and he can do anything when we're, when we're willing to lay it down and allow him to. Mm, that's good. That's, that's beautiful. Do we have time for any more? Um, do we want to... If, if you guys, like we said, if you, if you continue to come up with some questions, we welcome you to continue to send them in and we'll try to address them either in a coming sir message together like this, or if we have your, since we have your phone number, we might could, it might be something that we can uh, text you back directly or call you back directly and talk to you about it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right, guys, thank you so much for those questions. Those are really good. You know, the, the Pharisees, one time, they wanted to know, they, wanted to, they were asking Jesus about divorce. And so they asked Jesus, uh, why did Moses allow for divorce? And Jesus said, well, it's because your hearts were hard. And he was talking about all of us in the past. Your hearts were hard. Hard-hearted people need laws to govern them because they're not tender enough to do the relationship thing. We were all children who needed firm rules. We needed consequences. So we had the system of sin and sacrifice. You sin, the more sacrifice. Sin, more sacrifice. But that isn't what he's growing us up to become. That's not where he's growing us. And here's the real hope of the kingdom that I hope you get through this. It was never a pro- The kingdom is never a promise that, that God is going to rescue you out of the circumstances of your life that are challenging. The hope of the kingdom is that God will soften your heart so that you can have the wisdom to know how to deal with those difficult circumstances. That is the hope of the kingdom, that God will soften your heart to give you the wisdom to know how to deal with certain difficult circumstances. The hope of the kingdom is not so that he will make your spouse into the perfect spouse that you've always wished they were. That's not what God is promising. The hope of the kingdom is that you will have the soft, wise heart to know how to deal with those challenging situations. The hope of the kingdom, if you're single, isn't that suddenly God is going to provide you the mate you've always been looking for, but rather that you will have a wise and tender heart to know how to live as a single person until that time comes. So let me ask you a question. really want you to listen, guys. Are you willing to pray what Jesus prayed during the Sermon on the Mount when he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? I mean, lean in. Are you willing to pray that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because if you're going to pray that and you want God's will just to be done in the earth around you and in your country and all around you, you better be willing to start with you. Are you willing to pray, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done in my heart as in heaven. Do you really want to follow Jesus? Do you really actually want to follow Jesus? Or do you just want the label while you walk away as far as God's leash will allow you? Hoping he'll just drag you along with a bare minimum of obedience. Are you really just looking to act as belligerently as the world does while claiming the authority of God's behind you? Do you want to follow Christ? Do we want that? Or is it just, is it easier to just rail against people who don't act Christian? Something many of us Christians are guilty of is a deeper desire to have Christianity pervade our culture than to allow Christ to permeate our being. I'm going to say that again. So many Christians, myself, I've been there too. I'm guilty of it too. That we have a deeper desire to have Christianity pervade our culture. And we'll stand up and we'll fight for that rather than have Christ pervade our being. What would it look like if the kingdom came into your life? Into your situation right now, wherever you're at? Would it mean that you have to apologize to somebody that you've wronged? Or somebody maybe you've held something, a grudge against for a long time because they wronged you? Would it mean that you love your spouse enough to, to be upfront and honest and open as we were just talking about, about something rather than just being distant and in denial? We're up to now, maybe you've just been coexisting, cohabitating like roommates. Would it mean that you love your spouse enough to say no to seeking intimacy outside your marriage? Would it mean that you love your kids enough to remain faithful to their mom or dad? Would it mean as a single person, you love your heavenly father enough to, to remain faithful with him, to him, while you wait for that right person to come along in your life? As a wounded person or as a person maybe who's wounded other people, would it mean that you have the, the authenticity to, to get together with a, a spiritually mature brother or sister or, and say, here's where I am. I am poor in spirit. I want help. I want community. I want to grow here. I want to grow beyond spiritual adolescence. That's what it's all about. Whether you've never been a Christian before or you've been one kind of in name only for a while, what would it be like if the kingdom came into your heart? God's will be done. His kingdom, His will in my life. Are you willing to pray that prayer? And if you are, let's bow our heads and let's pray that together right now. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that your kingdom, your rule, not, not through law and grace, or through, through, but, but, through, but rather through grace, through relationship through love and wisdom, that you would come into my heart, Lord God. Change me, Lord God, from the inside out. Soften all those places, Lord, that have been hardened in my heart, Lord. That your spirit would soften me 
so, so that I would be eager to follow you, not dragged along behind you by religious rules, Lord God, but running alongside you. Help me to overcome, Lord God, my tendency to, to want to find loopholes to live religiously. Help me to desire to be as Christ-like in, in how I live my life as possible, Lord God. I pray this for me and I pray this for everybody listening who's a Christ follower. And for those, Lord, out there who are investigating who Christ is, I pray that you would give them the grace and the wisdom and the truth through your Holy Spirit to have the courage to commit to Jesus and to walk in partnership with him, the one who doesn't come to condemn us, but to save us. Thank you, Lord God, you've come to save us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Friends, remember this week, remember to call lots of people, check on them, see how they're doing, let them know nobody walks alone, you love them, you're praying for them, let them know. Uh, find ways to serve other people. Church, we're, we're going to get through this because we were made for this. So may you experience the fullness of Jesus this week as you experience following Jesus this week. We love you. Grace and peace. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources. 